Some of you may have read the, the book uh, Instruments of Change in the Redeemer's Hand. In it, Paul Tripp tells a story of in, in early in his marriage, uh, they were living in a duplex. Uh, and they lived in one side of the duplex, and the other half of the duplex, their elderly landlady lived. And they worked out a deal with her whereby she would reduce their rent if he took care of all the yard work. Right? She didn't do any of it. He had to take care of all the yard work for the duplex, but she cut their rent in exchange. And that sounds like a pretty good deal. Well, theoretically. Uh, in, in reality, he said that she was never happy with the work that he did. It was never on time. It was never enough. It was never done well enough. And so she was always after him to do some sort of work around the duplex. And if he didn't do it as quickly as she liked for him to, in order to hurry him up, she would go out and start doing it herself. Because she knew that would guilt him in to going out, rushing out and finishing whatever job she had started. So one day he said he was in his house and he hears this sound outside and he goes and looks out the window and there she is in her bathrobe and slippers raking the yard. And he stood and he looks out the window and he put his hands on his hips and he said, if she thinks I'm going to rush out there and stop everything I'm doing and help her, she's absolutely nuts. I'm going to rake on my time or not at all. He'd had it. He said five seconds later, much to his horror, he saw his son, his young son, standing next to his landlady with his hands on his hips saying, my dad says if you think he's going to rush out here and rake this yard, you're nuts. And as he watched her out the window, he's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean, I really didn't mean it. And then he thought to himself, yeah, I really did mean it. Um, what I said there was just the fruit of what that anger I'd been carrying in my heart for a long time. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells us that our actions and our words are just the fruit uh, of what we're carrying around in our hearts. He says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, our, our circumstances don't cause our actions our words, our circumstances reveal what's been in us all along. Now, all of you probably might, like me, there, there are things in your life, there are moments in your life where you're like, oh, goodness, there, there are things we're not happy about. There are things in us that we would like to change. There's sin that beats us down. And, and most of us have probably made multiple resolutions, uh, to do better. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to think that again. I'm not going to say that again. I'm not going to react in that way again. And yet we find ourselves standing, looking out the window with our hands on our hips, yelling because we can only suppress what's in our hearts for so long before it bubbles out again. See, the reality is if I'm really going to change Something's got to be changed in my heart. I've got to be changed from the inside out. Well, how does that happen? How, how do you do that? Um, we're going to think about that. Let's, let's look at the text, and we'll talk about that. <clears throat> Galatians 5, verse 16. This is God's word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also... Keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then from chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, thank you for giving us your word, for giving us your spirit. Uh, I pray that you would work among us now and that we would indeed see uh, how you intend to to change us and and pray that you even might be doing that this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do I change? That's 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 the big question this morning. How do I change? How do I replace the works of the flesh with the works of the spirit? How does that happen? Well, we do have a little bit of outline today. Outline people will be happy. Uh, The first thing is this. I've got to understand what I'm battling against. I've got to understand what I'm battling against. Now, we we talked about this intensively last week, so I'm just going to touch on it here. Uh, Paul says in verse 16... Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What's the flesh? The flesh is is your sinful nature. It's that part of you that that wants to do whatever you want to do. Uh, It's the part of you that says, God's not going to tell me what to do. It's the part of you that says, I'm going to be my own Lord and Savior. And here's what that means. When you want to be your own Lord and Savior, when you hear the gospel, your flesh rejects that and says, I don't need Jesus telling me what to do. I don't need Jesus to save me from anything. I'm, I'm fine on my own. And so you reject Christ as your Lord and Savior. But when you do that, it's not as if you have no Lord and no Savior. Uh, you'll find something else to build your life on if you don't build it on Jesus. You'll just move on to something else. It may be something along the lines of, I must be loved. And so you, you build your life on being loved. I must be beautiful. I must be successful. I must be accepted by other people. I must have other people's approval. And, and whatever it is you're building your life on, whatever it is that you're looking to, to give your life meaning and significance, uh, that thing will make demands of you. Uh, it will create laws for your life. Like, I've got to do X, Y, and Z to be successful. I've got to, be, got to do X, Y, and Z so people will approve of me. And if I don't do those things, then I won't be successful. I won't be beautiful, and I'll, I'll be a failure. It creates a law for you. Do these things, 
and you'll be blessed. Don't do these things and your life just won't be worth living. And that's true of you whether you consider yourself to be religious or not. That we have these things that we build our life on and the things we build our life on create demands for us. Create in us these ideas of do this and I'll be blessed. Don't do this and I'll be cursed. So whether you're religious or not, we're all busy building our life on something. You might say we're all busy trying to save ourselves. Uh, We're all busy trying to find meaning by doing something. We're all devoted to some kind or the other of of self-salvation project. It can be a religious self-salvation project or a not-so-religious self-salvation project. But we all have them. We all have them. And that part of you that says, I can make my life work. If I just try hard enough, I can get this together and everything's going to be okay. If I just achieve this, then everybody will accept me. That's your flesh. That's your, that's your sinful nature. It's that part of you that says, I can find identity and purpose and meaning apart from God. And that desire, those desires create all of these works of the flesh that you see here listed in Galatians 5. Now, for the Christian, when you come to faith in Jesus uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, Jesus is crucified for you. And there's a sense in which you are crucified with him. And in particular, as verse 24 says, your flesh is crucified with him so that it can't dominate you and rule over you the way that it once did. But the reality is it's not completely done away with. Its rules broken, its dominions broken. It can't define who you are anymore, but it's still hanging around. Right? As as we said last week, we still try to pull it down off the cross and, and breathe life into it again. It's like this defeated army raging guerrilla warfare in the streets of your heart. So that the result then is for the believers, Paul says in verse 16, this ongoing battle between the spirit and the flesh that you carry around with you every day. See, fundamentally now, as a believer, you're connected by faith to Jesus. Uh, The old you isn't in charge anymore. But the flesh can still make a mess of your life. Can still make a mess of your life. As Paul says here in chapter 6, you reap what you sow. It's true whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you reap what you sow. Our giving into the flesh has consequences in our lives. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once said, If a rhinoceros were to enter this restaurant now, there is no denying he would have great power here, but I should be the first to rise and assure him that he had no authority whatever. Indwelling sin, your flesh, is kind of like that rhinoceros in the restaurant. It, It really doesn't have any authority for you anymore. But it really can push you around at times uh, and and make a wreck of things in your life. In in fact, there's a a warning connected with this. Paul says if if you make peace with a rhino, then that is a sign that you may not be a believer. If you're trying to make peace with a rhino, you, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. If you just let the flesh have its way. But if you're wrestling with the rhino, if you're going to hate, the rhino, that's a good sign. 
That's a sign that the Spirit's within you. That's a sign that, that God is at work. And, and the more you see that and the more you cry out to God for grace, uh, the more you'll grow. And so the first thing we've got to do if we're going to change is we've got to understand what we're battling. You've got to know what you're really battling if you're going to, if you're going to change. Second thing, um, we need to understand that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. I mentioned, <clears throat> I mentioned earlier that the tightrope walker uh, who walked across the Niagara Falls Gorge and that he would offer to take people across on his back. Well, imagine that you took him up on that offer. You're like, ah, he looks pretty good. I think he can handle it. He's got pretty broad shoulders. He can handle me. And so you get on the tightrope and you start going across and about halfway across, you go, you know, I've been watching what you do with your feet here. I, I think I got it the rest of the way. Just, just set me down, and I'll, I'll book on a cross by myself the rest of the way. Well, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, you would think I was crazy if I, I would think you were crazy if you did that. But, but how many of us try to approach the Christian life like that? All right, Jesus, you, you got me started, and, and I can finish this on my own now. Paul addressed this in chapter 3 where he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me, let me ask you only this. <clears throat> Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He said, here's how you became a Christian. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You received the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus, not when you finally figured out how to keep the law. That's not when you became a Christian. You became a Christian when you simply put your faith in Jesus. Not when you became a good person. Not when you started going to church. But when you put your faith in Jesus. When you, when you gave up on your attempt to make it across the falls yourself and simply allow Jesus to carry you across, that's when you became a Christian. Why in the world would you want to get off his back now and try to walk the rest of the way on your own? Why would you think Jesus is just a halfway savior and that now it depends on you? One writer put it like this, we become Christians by faith in Jesus, we stay Christians by faith in Jesus, and we grow as Christians by faith in Jesus. You've got to get, if you're going to grow, if you're going to change, you've got to get that your salvation from the beginning to the end, from the start to finish, is God's work. The work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's, it's God's work. When you think about changing, when you think about being sanctified, when you think about growing in grace, you've got to start from the foundation of this is something that God is going to do in me. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says, May the God of peace sanctify you. May God sanctify you completely. You see, when you, when you realize you can't finish what God started... When you realize you can't just 
hop off of Jesus' back halfway across the gorge and, and, and run the rest of the way to heaven on your own, that's when change starts happening. When you have that realization, when you get to, to that point, when you get your eyes off of fixing you, I, I can do this better. When you see that you can't do it better and you start crying out to God in desperation, that's when change starts to happen. I think I've probably told you a story of Bob Coughlin uh, before. Uh, for three years, he said he spent his life in hopelessness and depression and panic attacks and constant itching. He was just, he was just going batty with all of this. And he went to the pastor and he said, I'm just, I'm just hopeless. I don't know what to do. And the pastor looked at him and he said, <clears throat> I don't think you're hopeless enough. I don't, I don't think you're hopeless enough. If you were completely hopeless, you'd stop trusting in what you think you can do to change the situation and start trusting in what Jesus Christ has already done at the cross. And he said it at that moment that this, this light went on for him. And that now anytime he feels anxious, he'll say, you know what, I, I am a hopeless person, but Jesus Christ came to die for hopeless people. And I'm going to trust him. And that's when change started in his life. So if you're going to change, you've got to understand what you're battling against. You've got to understand that salvation is of the Lord. Number three, uh, you've got to remember your justification. You've got to remember your justification. What's all the whole book of Galatians been about? It's about how, how are we right with God. It's not by works, but it's through faith in Jesus. You don't add anything to that. You don't take anything away from that. It's all simply by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by, it's not about how holy you are. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how bad you are. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. If you forget that, you're never going to change. If you forget that, you're never going to you're never going to change because you'll be trying to change from your strength and from your power. Uh, you'll be trying to perform for God, always wondering, am I, am I doing enough? Am I doing it well enough? Is he, is he happy with me now? See, you've got to continually say to yourself, I'm not okay. I am, I am not okay. There are, there are days when I, when I follow the flesh I, I am still a sinner. I don't have this growing in grace thing down. But it's okay that I'm not okay. It's okay that I'm not okay because Jesus died for people who aren't okay. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for people like me. And, and yes, I want to obey him now because... He's given his life for me. And yes, I'm convicted when I fail him. But I'm not condemned. Because Jesus was condemned for me. And there's no longer any condemnation for me. And realizing that leads to repentance in your life. Uh, William Romaine, you don't know who that is, but, but he once wrote, No sin can be crucified either in heart or life unless it first be pardoned in conscience. And Sinclair Ferguson wrote, Only when we turn away from looking at our sin 
to look at the face of God, to find his pardoning grace, do we begin to repent. Only by seeing that there is grace and forgiveness with him would we ever dare to repent and thus return to the fellowship and presence of the Father. See, before you can run to the Father in repentance, you've got to know that your sin is forgiven. And you've got to believe that that sin, right, the one that you hate so badly, the one that you struggle with so much, that that sin is forgiven. Not just sin generically, you do have to believe that, but you've got to believe that that sin is forgiven. The one that weighs you down so much that that sin has been forgiven as well. So you've got to bring not just sin under the blood of Jesus, you've got to bring your sin under the blood of Jesus. Your sin that you're battling against today, that you battled with last night, that you battled with this morning, you've got to bring that sin under the blood of Jesus and see that that sin is forgiven before you ever in a position where you can actually start to do battle against that particular sin. Sin has to be pardoned before its power can be broken. So you have to rest in the finished work of Jesus, not just for sin generically, but for your particular sins. Understand what I'm battling against. Understand that salvation is of the Lord. Uh, remember, remember justification and rest in it. And then number four, continue to put the flesh to death. Continue to put the flesh to death. It is crucified, but in, in your experience, it's still lingering. We, we pull it down off the cross. We, we listen to it. Uh, it still creates over-desires in us so that we really can still, even as a believer, we can still sow to the flesh. We can allow that old sinful nature to have its way at times. So I have to resist the flesh. I have to fight against the flesh and its desires. Verse 26, Paul says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Those are works of the flesh. And Paul is saying you have to resist those works of the flesh. You have to battle against them. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, he tells us that by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. In verse 16, he he tells us to do something. He tells us to walk by the Spirit. In verse 25, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So when you become a Christian, God implants the Holy Spirit within you. That's pretty amazing. We could talk about that a long time. But, But God implants the Holy Spirit in you. And he gives you new Holy Spirit desires for love and joy and peace and patience. And all of these fruit of the Spirit. He gives you the Spirit who actually resists these wrong desires of your flesh that you still have. And we're called to walk with the Spirit. To follow the Spirit. Uh, Somebody put it like this. Imagine a child being taught to paint by her father. And, And she's painting... But then the father wraps his hand around hers and guides her, instructs her into how to paint. 
and, and she's called, she's going to learn how to paint. She's got to submit to that and, and listen to that direction, that guidance from the Father. The Holy Spirit is God's guiding hand uh, in the life of the Christian. And when you feel that conflict, when you feel the flesh pulling you in the wrong direction, you've got to resist. You've got to keep in step with the direction that the Spirit is pulling you. Now, <clears throat> some of you might be saying, if you're, if you're listening, you might be saying at this point, now wait. I thought you just got finished saying that salvation is of the Lord and, and that it's God's work. And now you're telling me that when it comes to change, that I've got to do something? What, what does all that mean? Well, <clears throat> here's what you've got to get. I, I'm not saying this. Uh, I'm not saying that you and God cooperate in, in your little change project, kind of 50-50, and then you get 50% of the credit, and God gets 50% of the credit. No, God saves you. Uh, God works in you. God declares you to be right in his sight in justification. Um, that, is, that is all God's work. But he also gives you a new nature, and he gives you his Holy Spirit. And he calls you to daily faith and repentance. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to sit around. It is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure, or for his good pleasure. Justification is this act of God's grace where he declares you to be in right standing in his court. Sanctification isn't an act of God, but it's a work of God. Uh, where God works in me, where God works in you, but he enables us, as he is working, to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. So, What does all that mean practically? Well, that means that I battle sin, but I very much battle sin with a Bob Coughlin sort of attitude. Lord, I'm, I'm battling here, but if you don't work, I'm sunk. If, if, if you don't defeat the flesh, then, then I'm toast. And so we do battle against sin as we are hoping to change. Uh, but as we saw last week, a lot of battling with sin is meant to take place at the motivational level. A lot of battling sin is seeing it, the roots of sin exposed in our hearts. You know, here's what we do. We're like, all right, um, God's going to change me, but I have a role to play. Okay, I kind of get that. Let me look at my life. Uh, I'm angry. Okay, what does that mean? I need to quit being angry. All right, tomorrow I'm not going to be angry anymore. When that person does whatever they do, I'm not going to get mad at them. That's you, that's actually your flesh. Uh, that's you saying, I can change in my own power. I'm just going to will myself into being a different person. That's me trying to sanctify myself. See, what God does is God gives you his word and he gives you the Holy Spirit to shine into those dark corners of your heart to see what's there, to expose it. Uh, any of you ever had a, a garden, a vegetable garden or a flower garden, you know what grows up in your garden, weeds grow up in the garden. And what's happened when you go out and you just chop the tops of the weeds off? They, they all grow back, right? 
So in order to get rid of the weeds, you actually have to, to, to pull the weeds up by the root. You have to root them out of the garden if the garden is going to flourish. Here's what I mean by this. You have to ask yourself, you see yourself doing something wrong. You have to ask yourself not just, what am I doing wrong, but why am I doing that? This, this work of the flesh that I see in my life, why am I doing that? Why am I disobeying? And I, I'd argue that, that, that here's the thing, you're disobeying because there's something that you have to have. There's something that's become precious to you. There's something that you want. And then you have to ask yourself the question, why do I have to have it? All right? You see some problem sin in your life. Why am I doing that? What is it, what is it that I want? What is it that I have to have that's driving this sinful behavior in my life? Why do I have to have it? Uh, in Sylvester Stallone's, one of his first movies, anybody see he's coming out with a new movie? He's like 105, and it's like the, the geriatrics take Afghanistan. I don't, anyway. Um, but it, way, back in, way back in Rocky, all right, remember Rocky? Um, he's, he says to Adrian, he's explaining why he has to, has to, to fight, why he has to, to, to go in the ring. And he says this, I want to go the distance, and then I'll know I'm not a bum. I gotta at least do that. If I can, if I can just go the distance, then I'll know I'm not a bum. I've got to achieve this, or I don't have any value. I've got to make it to the top, then I'll know I'm I'm not a bum. And so I lie, I cheat, I I sleep my way to the top. I get angry at anybody who gets in my way. I become envious of anyone who makes it when I'm not making it, all those, what are the, those are works of the flesh, lying, cheating, sexual immorality, that's all works of the flesh, but where did it come from? Well, it, it came from my heart, it came from my desire to make it to the top, the non-negotiable in my life, I've got to make it to the top, that's my way of not being a bum, then I can know I'm not a bum, and it's really my way of of saving myself. Let me put it like this. Has anybody ever been, and kids, this will apply to you too, has anybody ever been tempted to cheat on a test? Right? Anybody, anybody ever had that temptation? No, why? Why were you tempted to cheat on the test? Well, because you wanted to make a good grade. Okay. Ask the next question. Why did you have to have the good grade? Why was that non-negotiable for you? Well, because I'll, I'll have value, I'm, I'm performing, I'm, I'm doing well, my parents will be happy, my teachers will be happy, I'll feel better for getting this good grade, I'll know that I'm not a bum, because I, I, su- I succeeded. See, underneath all of these works of the flesh, is something that I'm wrapping my arms around and saying, you're more important to me, you're more valuable to me than the love of God. And I've got to have you. You are more likely to give me life and joy than Jesus Christ is. 
And so I've got to have you. Success, good grades, you're going to give me more life than, than Jesus will. And so you pursue it, and it leads to all of these works of the flesh. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And part of what walking by the Spirit is, is letting the Spirit shine that light into the dark corners of your heart. Shine that light down in the basement of your heart. And following the Spirit down into the basement and dealing with what you find there. But there's more to it than that. And this is the last thing. Uh, Notice in verse 22, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and it's it's interesting, he he contrasts that to the works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit, the works of the flesh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see what's key there? That fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's fruit that the Spirit produces in your life. Well, how does the Spirit do that? Uh, In John chapter 14 through 16, we're told that the Spirit comes to to magnify and glorify Jesus. The Spirit shines a light on your flesh. It shines a light on all those over-desires in your heart, those things you have to have. It says, look, would you look, Justin, for a minute? Would you look where you're putting your ultimate hope? Would you look at where you're really resting in being successful and making it in your health and pleasure and people respecting you and being a a good person and doing what it takes to not be a bomb? Would would you look at where you're, you're pinning your hopes, where you're trying to save yourself? And then the Spirit swings the light around and He shines the light on Jesus Christ instead and he says to you to look are you going to trust in your ability to to control the world are you going to trust in jesus christ are you going to trust in a political party are you going to trust in jesus christ are you going to trust in your ability to have the perfect home so that everybody accepts you and thinks you're wonderful Are you going to trust in Jesus Christ? Are you going to trust in your being the the uber man or the uber woman doing whatever it is you're supposed to be doing? Whatever is expected of you. Are you going to trust in Jesus Christ? Are you going to trust in that picture you take at the beach where everybody has to wear white and everybody's mad at each other, but you go and you smile and you take the big picture and then you put it on Facebook, and everybody likes it because we're a great, wonderful family. Are you going to trust in selling that to everybody? Are you going to trust in Jesus Christ? See, the, the, Spirit, the work of the Spirit is to point you to Jesus and say, this is, that's, where, that's what you've been looking for all along. There's the salvation you've been trying to find in so many other places. Why don't, why don't you get back on his back and let him finish carrying you across? Yeah, I, I, I um, you know, it, 
Justin, why are you trying to find salvation how well the, the church plan is doing? Why are you trying to find your, your meaning in life in, in how, whatever it is you do, in, in being successful? Why don't you quit trying to find salvation what other people think of you and find it in Jesus? Why don't you quit trying to find salvation in building a safe, comfortable, controlled life where nobody knows you and you don't know anybody else, but it feels safe and you feel in control and it seems like everything's okay? Why don't you give that up and trust in Jesus instead? Won't you believe in Jesus? Y'all, this is why, and this, I was, the catechism question kind of ties in with this. This is why we need the grace, means of grace so badly. We need the means of grace because we need Jesus. And if you're not using the means of grace, if you're not praying, if you're not reading scripture, if you're not involving yourself in worship, then what you're really saying is, I don't, I don't need Jesus that much. I, I got this. I got this. And I don't mean... Start reading your Bible and praying, okay, that's what Christians do. And I'll start Monday, and I'll, I'll check it off, and I'll even email you the results. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we need to do this because that's how the Spirit searches our hearts and exposes the idols that are there. That's how the Spirit shines a light on Jesus as, as we involve ourselves in these means of grace. That's where the Spirit says, will you quit trusting in, in you? Because that's what you're doing. Will you quit trusting in you, and will you trust in Jesus? Yeah, you know, I, I found myself at the Lord's table a few weeks ago, uh, just kind of staring at the wine and just saying, Jesus, you're my salvation. Not, not this wine or anything, but this is pointing, that's supposed to, we do this every week. Because it's supposed to point you to Jesus, and you need pointing to Jesus every week. Jesus, you're my, all these other things aren't my salvation. All these other things aren't my identity. They're not who I am. You are. You are my salvation. The, the more you're able to say that, that Jesus, you're my salvation, not my performance, not my job, not my fill-in-the-blank with, with whatever it is for you, but Jesus... You're my salvation. You're the one I'll, that I need. The more you're able to say that, the more you're actually going to rest. The more you're able to say, Jesus, you're my salvation, the more you're actually going to rest. And the more you'll see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You'll see those things not because you're working so hard at being that person. You'll see those things because you're connected to Jesus. And it's the work of the Spirit as you're connected to Jesus to produce those things in your life. If you've got to have something besides Jesus, if you're working on some other self-salvation project, that's going to produce anger and, and fear and envy and jealousy and sexual immorality. But if you're connected in, to Jesus instead, you're going to see less fear and less self-protection and more serving other people just because they're made in God's image. You'll see more love. You'll see less despair and depression. Your mood won't swing with your circumstances so badly. 
you'll begin to find joy simply in knowing God. You'll see less anxiety and worry because you're resting in God being in control and not your fixing everything. You'll see less resentment. More, you'll see more ability to, to suffer and to be patient. You'll see less envy, less doing good deeds because of what you can get out of them and more kindness, less phoniness and more loving honesty. You'll see more goodness. You'll be less of a fair-weather friend and more faithful. You'll be less self-absorbed and more humble. You'll be less out of control and you'll demonstrate more self-control. And you won't just see one or two of these things in your life. They're not, they're not fruits of the Spirit that we kind of like, I think I'll grab love and joy and maybe we'll get to the rest of those later. They're the fruit of the Spirit. They're the fruit of knowing and being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you change? How do you change? You follow the Spirit. You follow the Spirit away from your idols. And you follow the Spirit to Jesus Christ. Worship Him. Trust in Him. Hope in Him. Find salvation in Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that anything I've said that's not clear or wrong, that you would, you would just blow that all away, blow it out of everybody's minds. But the things that are true and helpful, I pray that you'd cause those to stick. Oh, Father, I pray that we would indeed know your Son. Uh, and as we know your Son, that we would be led by him and changed by him, that we would indeed see what it means every day to find our rest and our salvation in him. We pray it in his name. Amen.